You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. I am your host, Tony Lopes, and with me today is Tim McDermott, the Chief Business Officer and President of the Philadelphia Union. Hey, Tim, how's it going? Hey, Tony. Good to see you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us remotely, of course, as we're all dealing with COVID-19. Really excited to discuss all of the cool things that the Philadelphia Union has been doing to, in response to COVID-19. So let's just jump right in. Let's get started with back on March 12th. Obviously, we all kind of had to shelter in place or stay at home in response to the um, Pennsylvania order to do so. So how did the union, I, I know this has been a struggle for everyone, but how did the Philadelphia Union yeah. deal with that early on and where are we now? Yeah, um, so we were expecting to have a home opener uh, that weekend, right. um, what would have been, I guess, March 14th. And so leading into that weekend, we were watching. Um, we had a COVID task force that had been formed weeks earlier. Uh, we were in communication with the league officials. Um, and on a personal level, you know, I had been, you know, watching and as much as I possibly could in terms of what was happening. And, um, you know, quite frankly, you know, I definitely had my concerns about it. And, um, you know, leading into that weekend, what would have been our home opener, I certainly was, you know, uh, you know, I guess, um, cautious, I guess is the best way to say it. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, the good news is, when March 12th happens and uh, Rudy Gobert gets diagnosed and the NBA shuts down and immediately right after it, you know, the MLS and, and other leagues also shut down. I, I actually think there was an amazing amount of leadership that those leagues showed mm -hmm. uh, and showed to, to the world that, Hey, you know, this is serious. We need to take it serious. And <clears throat> by taking such drastic steps, I think, you know, sent a, a notice, if you will, to, to society of like, hey, if our sports teams are going to stop play, then we all need to, you know, call a timeout here and figure out what's going on. And I think it was smart. I think it showed great leadership. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, you know, sometimes I ask myself, wow, if that hadn't happened, and not that I, you know, whatever, hope that somebody gets uh, this at all, but the fact that, you know, an NBA player, uh, you know, a notable you know, NBA player gets it. Uh, it really did, you know, form a little bit of a catalyst, uh, catalyst in the sense of, you know, hey, we all needed to, to kind of stop. And what would have happened if, if he didn't get it? And that weekend, we continued to play games. And so, you know, um, I thought the leadership was great um, on March uh, the 13th. Um, if I have my dates right, um, right after the Rudy Gobert uh, incident happened that night, the next morning we were in as a as a as a as a workforce, and I you know huddled everybody up and um, basically you know sent them home uh, about halfway through the day and said, look, take all your stuff with you that you feel like you need. Take you know assume we're going to be working from home mm -hmm. for the near future or the foreseeable future. And you won't have your stuff, you know, you won't have access to get back in the building, basically. So take what you need. And, and we all moved to that, you know, work from home. And for the first couple of weeks, you know, probably, you know, chaotically, you know, 
made our way through the first couple of weeks, clumsily made our way through the first couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, went from telephone calls to you know, doing things like we're doing here with Zoom. Um, and I would say on the whole, we've been 90% uh, productive, you know, somewhere between 80 to 90% productive. Um, that does not mean we're, we're selling tickets because clearly we are not, right? Or selling new sponsorships or generating revenue. Quite frankly, we're the, we're the exact opposite of that. But I think from the standpoint of, you know, our people uh, is the workforce that we have, is the staff that we have staying active, staying productive, staying engaged. They're doing everything that they can. And so I do think from an overall productivity, you know, we're 80 to 90 percent. Um, uh, you know, clearly the last remaining 10 to 20 percent. Yeah, it would be it would be nice to be in person with everybody. But on the whole, we've kept all of our meetings. We've kept our one-on-ones, our group meetings. I have a check-in on Monday morning, nine o'clock. I have a check-in out, if you will, check-in out on Fridays at five o'clock. Um, and so what we started doing was we did start uh, two things. One was in those sessions, instead of hearing from me every weekend or every Friday, I should say, uh, we started bringing in guest speakers. So we've had, whether it be the owner of the union, player, coach um, started to go beyond that. We went to the uh, uh, assistant commissioner at the MLS spoke this week. Um, I had my brother, head coach of the Buffalo Bills come in and he, he spoke to everybody. And, and I think, you know, just hearing a different, you know, voice has been good for everybody. So that was one thing we did. And the second one was um, early on in the process, we, we identified, call it 15 to 20 projects that we often have felt, wow, if we just had time, we'd love to get to these sorts of projects. And um, so we identified those 15 to 20. And what we did is probably like a college curriculum. We listed each project, said, hey, Monday at noon, the projects go live and you can sign up for a project. And then staff members got to sign up um, and like I said, a college, you know, class and, you know, we, we have about six people per project. And if you went to sign up and it was already full, then, you know, you went to your next one. Um, and hopefully no one got stuck like I did my, uh, <clears throat> my Cornell freshman day with, I think it was never, Netherlandish paintings of the 17th century, <laughs> uh, was what I got stuck with. Um, so, <clears throat> um, we've been doing those projects and, and hopefully, you know, some really good. Uh, value, you know, comes out of those things. And uh, so we'll see. We're we're about halfway through. Uh, I think it was initially a good insertion of energy where people were excited to work on some of these projects. It kind of took them out of their, you know, day job and put them in a cross-functional uh, project team, uh, working with people from other departments on something that they might not normally work on. And And if it goes where we want to, it should be, the net result should be, hey, you know, these are things that we could have or would have brought in resources, you know, consulting resources, maybe study. And hopefully, you know, we've got bright people on staff that are able to knock some pins down for us and get some answers to some questions. And so it's been everything from, uh, um, you know, how do we grow our Sons of Ben supporters, uh, which are key to, to the union and to the growth of the union, to uh, if, we were to, if we were to build a field house, a multi-sport field house where you could have you know, youth sports and adult leagues, et cetera, you know, what does that look like? What's a business plan for that look like? And, and where do we do it? So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of where we've been at with it. 
That's brilliant. And first of all, super, I, I super admire your, your propensity for innovation and for just reassessing the situation. One of the things I've been hearing a lot from a lot of entrepreneurs in the community is right now to help curb the anxiety that quite frankly, we're all going through at different levels and at different times, right? One thing that helped is focusing on controlling the controllables, quote unquote. And I love the innovative approach of taking that college curriculum concept and then giving your team at a wide berth, you know, the entire team of the union, the opportunity to pick and choose what projects they want to work on, which gives them that sense of autonomy and control over their situation. So kudos to you for that. That's brilliant. And and this ties into the prior episode that you did on our show, where you talked about how the union is developing that mile long, if, I, if I'm correct, more or less waterfront that you've been working on developing. And now is a great opportunity and a great time to jump into some of those projects and get the planning done so that you can come out of this thing, you know, full bore with pedal to the metal, so to speak. That's awesome. Awesome. Really great job. So super cool. So what are, what are we, I don't mean to press and, it, and if, if the answer is, I don't know, it's totally understandable. I think for anyone listening, um, do you have any idea yet of what this might look like in the coming months in terms of the potential league getting going, our games going to be without fans, empty arenas. What are, what are we thinking right now? Yeah, look, the, the league has um, looked at a, a host of different ideas and is continuing to evaluate, you know, what does it look like to, to restart? Um, there's obviously some unevenness in um, rules and regulations across the various states. Um, that makes it tricky, quite frankly. Um, we've started training uh, here at the Philadelphia Union, but we've gone, you know, 15 minutes south into Wilmington, Delaware, uh, because of the Pennsylvania rules. Right. So, um, you know, I guess you could say we're fortunate in the sense that we have a state that's close by we can get to, while some other people or some other teams don't have that luxury. So there's a little bit of an unevenness, and and they, the league has to be thoughtful about. What does returning to play look like if if every you know state is in a different you know set of circumstances and what uh, rules are are governing what they can and cannot do? So that makes it a little bit tricky. And uh, thinking about what does a return to play look like, you've probably heard some discussion that recently there's been uh, some some you know talk uh, about a tournament that would take place in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, where teams would report to Orlando in the you know early June early June-ish and have a, a tournament that would take place in <clears throat> starting in July and run through the beginning of August, of which you know I think there'd be a tremendous uh, amount of excitement for something like that. Yeah. Um, right now, and, and whether it happens that way or in, in some other way, but I think that concept uh, right now would be fantastic for the for the league for MLS. I think it would give us a lot of attention and you'd get the attention of not just your your hardcore soccer fan but i think you'd get the attention of a lot of uh sports fans who may not otherwise um have necessarily tuned in and and now it gives them a chance to kind of sample the sport a little bit um and regardless of how that happens if it happens in a in a manner you know without fans you know that's always a, a challenging situation too because um you know, I, th- I, th- I think the fan environment is one that is very uh, <clears throat> difficult to replicate, but and also 
so important to the sport, you know, and, and regardless if you're talking soccer or if you're talking, you know, football or basketball or baseball, whatever the sport may be, you know, the, the vibe that you get, the energy that you get, you know, from the fan base is, is I think is really important. And, and it shines through on the telecasts yes. and you see that and you feel it. So this past week, uh, past weekend, the Bundesliga uh, started up play. You know, the German league started play, and um, you give them a lot of credit for trying to get out there and do their thing. And I think, to a large degree, probably more people have learned about the Bundesliga than ever before. <laughs> um, you know, I do think there was a lot of great that came out of it. Um, I do think there's also you see what I would say there's some you know there's some challenges and playing in a stadium where there are no fans and it's, it's a bit cavernous. Absolutely. And so how is, how do they, how do you create that uh, attachment to the fan base uh, as opposed to feeling detached uh, or feeling like it, it's, it's a scrimmage, right? And right. so we don't want that to happen. And so, you know, we've got a lot of, you know, smart people thinking about that of what, what do we do? And, you know, there's, you know, whether, again, whether it's the MLS or whether it's, you know, any other sport, there's a lot of different thoughts that are being uh, discussed of, well, do you, do you pipe in sound? Is there white noise? Is there, uh, is there ways that fans at home can somehow contribute to the sound that you hear through the telecast, right? And so there's some technology that people are looking at. So um, a lot of smart minds thinking about it and trying to figure out how we all, you know, get restarted. And, you know, I think it goes without saying, or maybe I should say it is that at the, at the center of this is, is not, uh, is not the financials, but it is quite frankly, the health. And, and that has to be first and foremost. And, and how do you ensure, uh, a, the integrity of, you know, the bubble, if you will, if you want to call it that, how do you ensure the integrity can be, can be, you know, withheld for an entire, you know, two week or two week, two month, uh, tournament, if that is what in fact happens. So it's, it's, there's, this is a Herculean task. I mean, this is what, and again, whether it's MLS or whatever league is trying to do it, you know, the, this is Herculean to try and turn that, that tanker ship and make a fast turn. Like that's what everybody's trying to do and recreate business models. I think we're probably on, you know, financial model, you know, version. I don't even know. I guess. Right, I don't even know right. what we're up to. Um, so, you know, I think everybody's being thoughtful. Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, right now as we speak, you know, that the temperatures are getting nicer. I think there's a feeling that people do want to resume, you know, some activities. Um, and, you know, and just my, you know, personal walk of life, you know, I, uh, you know, I think this past weekend, I, you know, I did more this past weekend and in my driving around, you know, it's probably fair to say that there were fewer people uh, socially distancing and fewer people, you know, maybe adhering to some of the guidelines. Um, it's not, that's not necessarily a good thing in my right, opinion, right. but you know, I think that that there is a feeling of a lot of people wanting to kind of get, you know, get going a little bit. So you know, look, as, as a society, we're going to have to be thoughtful about what does that look like and how do we do it? Yeah, that's great. All, all great points. And I, I hear in that subtextually that obviously there's a lot of dependence, not only on what the union or an individual team does within its organization, but also what the leagues are doing and what they're thinking. There's so much that goes into something like that. So 
yeah, it's a it's a tough tough position to be in. But knowing you as little, but but I feel like somewhat well as I do. Nobody better for the job. Most likely, you're you're an innovator, and and when you're telling that story of uh, or the potential for piping in sound, I can't help but think of that story that you told me from your internship when you were in the control yeah, tower right. doing doing the sound. So uh, awesome how things kind of come full circle. So let's let's talk a little bit also about the proactive things that I think the union's been doing fantastically. One of those is that you've. You've had this long-standing pseudo partnership with Captain Morgan. Captain Morgan's always been a, a big fixture at the Union Games. I, I remember from seeing them around at the games and and uh, all of their their promotional uh, efforts at the games. And so the Union teamed up with Captain Morgan to help with local COVID nineteen relief uh, as part of the MLS Unites campaign and uh, has committed, Captain Morgan has committed to at least $55,000 to the Philadelphia Union Foundation. That's great. Uh, how did that come about? How did, and, and what are we looking at in terms of outcomes? Yeah, so what you're talking about is what we call our Fight for Philly campaign. And, you know, look, throughout the last several weeks and months, you've seen a lot of heroic efforts. Um, and there was just a period of time where we said, hey, you know, we need to figure out you know, how do we contribute to what's happening in a positive way and, and, you know, put some smiles on people's faces and, and really how it started was there was an email exchange between um, one of my staff members and our owner, and we had launched a game day employee assistance fund. So for all of the, you know, food and beverage workers, security workers, um, uh, parking, uh, ticket takers, ushers, box office, uh, et cetera, that usually come in on a, ga- a day of game, you know, they, those folks aren't getting that money. So we had launched a game day employee assistance fund to help them. And our, uh, one of the employees on our staff, you know, wrote an email to the owner just basically saying, thank you. You know, we really appreciate it. This is really great. And, and the owner responded saying, uh, essentially said, hey, anything I can do, I want to do, I want to be able to fight for Philly. And we, when we heard that, or when he read that, we're like, oh, wow, that's a great, great tagline. Just a great you know, way to rally what we want to do and what we're trying to do. And so we took that, we said, that's it. That's our thing, Fight for Philly. And we basically um, you know, started a multi-phase, multi-week uh, program. So every week we do something unique in the community. So it could be delivering meals to Chester residents. It could be delivering face shields or face masks to frontline healthcare workers at various hospitals. And so we've been in the Crozier health system. We've been in, I guess, three different health systems now um, doing this. And so when it's all said and done, you know, we will have delivered, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of of meals or PPE uh, and uh, as part of the program. And then next is what we'll call our uh, fight for Philly small business. And the Fight for Philly Small Business is going to be a campaign, you know, as it sounds, dedicated to small businesses and helping small businesses, particularly those in Chester, and making sure that, you know, we can we can do our part to, you know, provide some, you know, some financial resources to them and in a way that I think has a bit of a carry forward approach. So to the extent that we uh, buy meals uh, from them, they will turn around and give those meals to uh, various uh, people uh, in, in in need or who need those meals. So 
so that's the that's kind of the next stage of this. And so we're we're just continuing to think through like how do we do our part in helping the community. Um, and so far it's been it's been pretty good. In fact, I got the I got my Chester. This is a Chester Clippers hat. Awesome. So um, so it, it, I actually uh, my my school principal, my high school principal, uh, has been the uh, Chester uh, uh, School District Superintendent. For, for some years here. And so we got together, I guess a year and a half ago, and we came up with this idea of how do we start soccer in Chester High School? And they have not had it for about 30 years. And so between the union, uh, our foundation, we came together and now we basically provide all the resources for them to have uh, you know soccer in their high school from coaches, equipment, uniforms, fields, uh, you name it. So uh, last last year was the first year, um, which was super cool. Like yeah. it's really cool to see you know kids out there uh, playing a sport that you know a lot of them haven't always had access to it, and um, and so it was really neat. So we'll, we'll you know once we get out of this situation, hopefully we'll get back on that front. Yeah, it's awesome. You you were reminding me again of something you had mentioned in the episode that we recorded previously, which was that you had built that program out and you were you mentioned that a bunch of union players had gone to the first game and stuff and what a cool experience that had been. And, and uh, we're all in, in the Philly area at large, very thankful for what the union has been doing as a leader in a lot of ways and sort of this triple bottom line concept of really being community focused, yeah. especially in Chester, as you pointed out previously, because the Chester community, quite frankly, is that, is that base where the union is. Um, th- that brings up an interesting question, I think at least, how do you, especially in a tough time like this, how do you continue to innovate, not only from a business and a financially focused perspective, but in that community focused triple bottom line, for lack of a better term, concept? I know the union kind of has that mentality, right? We can tell, obviously, that you're very involved as an organization in the community. But when times get tough like this, quite frankly, sometimes people can lose focus. So how do you maintain that focus within the organization? Do you have to sort of constantly remind the team or are there particular individuals that are literally just focused on those initiatives? How does that all work internally? Um, yeah, it, I think it's a good question about, uh, you know, focus, um, especially right now with, you know, it's, it's a little bit, you know, everything's moving. Um, look, I, I think part of what I would say in, in this scenario is it, really shines a light on do you have good leaders in your organization or not. Um, and, you know, to the area, if you do, then those people who are self-starters, who are leaders, who want to be the best, they will rise to the top, right? They don't need their hand held. They might need a little guidance. They might need a little direction, right? Just to know, hey, what is our North Star right now? But, but you can you can trust them, and I think in situations like this, you have to right. And right. Like, that's been my one of my ahas is, you know, I can see where do I have strengths in the organization and where do I I not have strengths in the organization, right? Um, and to the extent that you can basically say that person they've got it, you're in you you feel good as a as a leader of a company, it makes you feel good. Um, and so that's one of the big things is like when you're in a situation like we're in where you're, you know, you're spread out, you can't just 
you know, walk down the hall and talk to somebody. Yes, you can call and Zoom and everything else, but it's, it's that is that 20% of the productivity that you lose. You need to be able to, you know, know that, you know, hey, you're head of X, Y, Z, that they've got it. They know what the marching orders are and you can trust them. And I think for us, you know, we're, we're pretty fortunate that, you know, we're in that situation where I feel like we've got some good continuity. Most of my staff, you know, leadership's been together now for probably four, going on to five years. So I'm thankful because we do have that rapport with each other. Um, I think if you were brand new to an organization, it can be trickier. If you came into an organization, you know, a month before the COVID shutdown, it's harder to be uh, kind of into all of the culture of an organization. And to t- that's probably been a really difficult transition, I would think, for somebody who's new to an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite frankly, to the extent that you've got, a, if you have a leadership group that is all new, trying to figure each other out a little bit, it, you know, it, it's challenging, I would imagine. Um, so look, I'm fortunate we have a good leadership group, um, but, but it also, you know, shines light on, uh, you have, you know, having great leaders, having great staff, you know, that's, what's critically important. I remember a story that, uh, Joe Banner, who was the president of the, of the Eagles once shared with, with staff. And he, and he said to everybody, he said, you know, what makes us unique is the people in the room, because at the end of the day, uh, and he was talking about the NFL, but I think it applies to quite frankly, any sport, there's not a secret sauce. Right. If you, you want to take NFL, you've got 11 guys on offense, 11 guys on defense. And so does every other team. You know, you might have 12, 12 coaches. The other team has 12 coaches, 13 coaches. Like you're not getting an advantage because of the number of coaches or the number of scouts or some secret sauce. Right. We're not a KFC recipe. Right. That we say, hey, the KFC recipe is so good and no one knows it. Like, And so really it's always it's always stuck with me that. As a result of that, we're all kind of on a, on a similar playing field. And so then it's got to be, you know, what comes out of the people in the room that really drives uh, the success or the failure of the, of the company. Brilliant. Brilliant. So now looking at you as a leader and as the organization at, at large, you've always had this propensity for innovation, as we, we talked about in the first episode with heading into EMLS and esports in general. And and successfully, by the way, of course, you 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 had the the MLS Cup champion right last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. We yeah. did. He got he got uh, taken away by another team. Oh, you, oh man, they cherry picked us. That sucks. But they but I saw you just so, brought yeah. in a new player recently, right? A couple of weeks ago. Well, so what we what we did in the interim though is we actually um, we thought we had a kind of a clever concept is we went to uh, an NFL player. Uh, Jay Ajayi, former right. Eagles player, and and he's a he's a gamer, and said, "Tell you what, until we find our next uh, great, you know, EMLS player, why don't you come in and and you'll be our player?" And I will tell you that we probably got more publicity out of that than we probably by tenfold <laughs> than the other guy winning the EMLS. Uh, and so it was a good it was it was a good victory for us from a PR standpoint. That's awesome. So I was going to ask. He hasn't won. He hasn't won too many games for us. But, <laughs> but from a PR standpoint, you know, give him a thumbs up. Yeah, that's cool. So, how has that now? Do you feel, as an individual and as a leader, do you feel sort of justified now that we're in this really uncertain time 
which I think, you know, obviously this is, this is a horrible time. A lot of people are getting sick, but at the same time, for those of us who are fortunate enough not to get sick, there's a lot of opportunity right now to look at different innovations and how flexible we can be as organizations and as individuals that you've been so innovative leading up to this, that maybe that put you in you and the union in a better position in this circumstance or, or what, what are you feeling right now in terms of that? What I will say is I think, look, innovation is, is a, I think a frame of mind, you know, it's, you know, you can certainly, you know, be taught to innovate. Um, you can have guidelines and metrics to measure innovation. Um, but, but I just think there are fundamentally people who are naturally inclined to it and think that way, who are curious. Um, and I think typically those people who have that natural sense of curiosity will always be those that, you know, find a, a new innovation, a new widget, a new product, a new process, whatever it may be. Um, clearly though, you know, when you go through something like this, it does force you to kind of think a little bit different and to be willing to say, you know, just because we did it this way, you know, the old statement doesn't mean we have to keep doing it. Well, now more than ever. Um, and I think you're seeing that, you know, I think, um, I was talking to a peer of mine and, you know, one of the things he said was, you know, this working at home thing is actually working pretty well. Like, we haven't really had a huge, you know, cutback in productivity. And now I think they're thinking of, okay, well, what does it mean when you return? Do you really need a, you know, X thousand square feet base that you work out of? Uh, do you, do you really need that? Um, or do you just need, you know, once a week, we need conference base. And we're going to do our meetings once a week. Uh, we're going to come together once a week and we'll have our conferences. Uh, our team meetings, our bigger, bigger, you know, department head meetings. But after that, you know, maybe we can just work from home and that's really all we need. So, you know, it's, it's things, you know, like that, that I could see coming out of this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that you could see more innovation on the, on the technology side of things uh, that would clearly, you know, have come out of this, even the, you know, obviously the, the use of, uh, you know, uh, applications like zoom etc um so look I, I think there can be certainly you know a series of models that that you know come out of this and you know uh, and, and i you know i don't want to just speculate on what those might be i have some ideas on some some things but it does allow you the the, the flexibility right now just to kind of say hey what if right just just what if just hear me out right this this sounds crazy but um, and, and now it's a little bit more like, it's okay to have that conversation. That's great. Yeah. And that, and that leads me into my next question, which I, I've always been curious about with you in general. And I think we touched on this in the first episode, but I'm going to pull out a little bit more. What's your creative process? Cause I, I think I'm learning at least from interviewing entrepreneurs on the podcast that entrepreneurs and creatives have a lot of similarities, right? They, they come up with this idea to your point. Sometimes it's, an outside of the box idea or an idea that would definitely not fit within traditional customs. And you go, you know, this sounds crazy, but what if we tried this? And that's very similar to the creative process in general. So do you have a process that you go to on a regular basis to keep yourself on the edge of innovation? That's a good question. Um, I think my answer has changed a little bit from when I was in a CMO role to, to you know, a president's role. Um, and on the CMO role, I would say, 
I, I thought about innovation, you know, on a consistent daily basis. Um, and, and maybe it's more due to the nature of the role. Um, I think from a president's role, you know, I compartmentalize a little bit more mm-hmm. because there's, you know, Hey, you know, eight, there's, there's HR, there's staffing, there's, there is the strategic stuff. And, um, but then there's also, Hey, I've got, I've got to trust people underneath me to do this. So, um, I think for me personally, um, it probably goes back to what I would say before, again, on a personal level is mm-hmm. that I am naturally inquisitive. Um, you know, going back to when I was a, you know, a little kid driving, you know, my parents driving the, driving the teachers probably nuts because I was a kid that was just constantly asking questions. Um, and, uh, you know, always kind of curious that way, you know, what if, why is this, why does that happen? Um, and then I think, you know, as I've gotten into my, my career, um, that was just kind of the, my natural orientation. Um, and, you know, look, I'll, I'll admit it probably drives some people nuts, right? Because <laughs> I, I'm sure, not, not, I guess it, it does, um, from my wife down to my, you know, my coworkers, um, because I constantly will say, you know, you know, what about this? Could we do that? Hey, I'm just thinking of this. Um, and there's that fine line, quite frankly, probably that, that, you know, of trying to constantly think about things differently versus just, Hey, you know, when is it, when is it time well spent mm-hmm. to try and innovate on areas or think about things differently than just take the, the course that's already been laid out. But I don't know, I'm, I'm more of a, you know, I just believe it's, it's, you know, there are people who just inherently think that way. Um, and yes, you can try and train people and, but you are either curious about, you know, life, uh, about business, about whatever, or you're, or you're not. And clear, yes, there's, there's stages of that. But I, I really do believe that, you know, there are people, um, maybe it's a small number of people, but, you know, they just look at things and ask why or just look at things and they can just kind of, in their mind, you know, pivot in their mind of like, well, what if it was this way? Right. Um, and I, it's hard to, I guess, explain that, but that is kind of the way that I've always been geared. Um, and you know, for better, or for worse, it's, it's, it's a 24 seven thing. Um, you just happen to like, you know, I, I will, you know, dream of things that way. You know, I will have ideas, you know, in the middle of the night and, and you write them down and it's three in the morning and you're, you know, um, a lot of times my wife will say, you know, what are you doing? Um, you know, I'm <laughs> on my phone and I'm, I'm I, I, you know, I tell her, I've, I've got to get this thought down. Right. And so it's just, I think it's the way some people are, are wired. Um, and more so for me, that's the way it's been more so than I'd say a, a systemic, uh, or systematic process. Interesting. Interesting. So let's just, if you don't mind my own curiosity now, just unpacking that a little bit on the two levels. One, when you were a CMO and when you were coming up in your career, how did you manage that? I think for those who are listening who might be mid-level or, or, or in their transitionary periods, and, and some people may be experiencing that right now because of the circumstances, how did you manage that need for curiosity and pushing the envelope and innovating while you're working with others above you and around you? 
that maybe don't have that propensity and that uh, ability, quite frankly, to deal with uncertainty, right? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, from a, I guess, from a pure process standpoint, um, y- you know, again, I'm not suggesting this is the best way, but I, you know, if you saw my desk, I have, you know, 75 post-it notes, um, which drives me nuts, but that seems to be every time I try a new process, I revert back to a post-it note. Um, you know, and so, so for me, it's been a matter, I, I try and, you know, capture my ideas as they come. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whether it's post-it notes or I have, you know, some books and stuff that would write things down. Um, and what I've found is for me, again, my curiosity ranges. Sometimes it's specific to, you know, the job that I'm in, but other times it might be, you know, different ideas. And I just, you know, I, f- I find it intellectually kind of stimulating to kind of think about these things. Hmm. Um, so in terms of managing up though, I think you, you know, you, a, you kind of have to know the room a little bit too. Right. And when are, you know, some, some, you know, who, who the person above you is in terms of their receptivity to ideation and uh, kind of, you know, blue sky thinking, you know, that isn't for everybody. And, you know, you do want to make sure that you uh, have thought through the ideas well enough that, um, you know, the person that you're presenting them to understand, hey, it's a good idea. And that here's the plan behind it. Here's the finances or here's how it makes money or here's why it makes sense. Um, Which is probably the hard part uh, for some people is taking the you know, the idea to, you know, providing the story behind it, the rationale behind it and why it makes sense. Um, so yeah. Um, look, I, I feel like I've fortunately been in positions where for the most part I've worked with people who, you know, were open to different ideas and, and they themselves wanted to see new ideas and new innovation. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, it's probably fair for me to say that I don't think I've worked at too many places where, uh, they just all, you know, status quo was just, you know, the thing to be the place to be. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, subtextually, I think overall, I'm hearing that in general, one of the things that you do really well, even in your presidential role is that you're very sensitive to the perspective and the language of the person that you're collaborating with. And maybe that's a huge element in that, right? Like you said, knowing your audience and knowing the right timing of that audience as well. And their sensitivity to, whoa, 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 why is this guy always got a new idea? Maybe I'm speaking to myself a little bit there, but um, yeah, cool. Awesome. Thank you for that advice. I think that's uh, that's very valuable. All right, Tim, thank you very much for, for bringing us up to speed on where the union is with COVID-19. What should we kind of look out for? Is there anything you want to mention in terms of the innovations we might see coming up from the union? What should we keep our eye on? Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, the biggest thing right now is we're really focused on just continuing to be an awesome community partner, um, you know, supporting the, supporting the people who are, who are out there, our frontline workers, our healthcare workers. You know, I've said this many times, there's a lot of people who signed up for jobs um, that didn't know they'd be in those jobs, right? They, you know, being, whether it's a healthcare worker, whether it's somebody who's at a, you know, an acne markets or whatever it may be that, you know, they're critical right now. Right. And, uh, and, you know, to a, to a large degree, they might've, you know, I'm sure that somebody might've signed up for those jobs, not expecting to be in this current situation. So there's a lot of, you know, bravery, a lot of courage, um, that does need to be, uh, rewarded and acknowledged. And so, 
Um, a, I'm very thankful for all those people doing that. Um, and, and B, I think, you know, that's where we're trying to spend our time and energy is just, you know, continue to find ways to help, you know, those people, uh, our, our community, our the individuals in those communities, small businesses do our part. And, and that's really what we're, you know, focused on right now. Um, and then hopefully in the next few weeks, months, we'll see, you know, hopefully back to, to playing soccer and, and, uh, and, you know, professional sports will, uh, be able to restart in, in some way, shape or form. Awesome. I think that's, uh, you know, I feel confident that that's going to happen in some way, shape or form here. Great. Uh, if people want to donate to the Philadelphia union foundation, can they do so directly? And what's the best way to reach out? Yeah. Well, Hey, the best thing they can do is there's some cool, uh, fight for Philly t-shirts that we have. So I would suggest go onto our website, philadelphiaunion.com. They'll find the t-shirts there. It's $25 for a t-shirt. It's a really cool t-shirt. And, uh, the net proceeds go to our COVID relief efforts. Um, so that would be the best thing I'd say if they were able to support it that way. Awesome. I'll definitely post the link to that in the show notes. So anybody who's listening, hit that link, order your t-shirts and, uh, you can support the Philadelphia Union Foundation and increase your wardrobe styling. So <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, that's uh, I look forward to that. Thanks a lot, Tim. Really appreciate your time. This was awesome. All right, Tony. Take, take care. Thank you for having me. You too. Thanks. <laughs>